Well, we should be finishing up the book of Ephesians here tonight. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick up at verse 18, reading on into 19, which is where we're actually at. As Paul said in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. Last week we were looking at this part in particular, watchful, being watchful in prayer and the perseverance and supplication for all the saints. This is where we spent our time in the last time. Before that, we were into the praying always, looking at the different kinds of prayer. Too many times we just say, well, I'll just pray about that, but we don't really know how to pray. And we think just by talking it over with God and the thing that we've accomplished something in prayer. But we need to do more of that. We need to understand what the ways are with prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Again, prayer does not need to be long to be effective. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he's saying, pray for the saints, but he says, then pray for me. So he's, uh, he's asking them, now how many times do we hear this phrase from people, pray for me? We hear that phrase all the time from folks, don't we? What is it he's looking for? He says, and pray for me, that utterance may be given to me. So after talking about praying with all prayer and praying for the brethren, he asked for prayer for himself on this. So when people come to us, or when we go to people, let's put it that way first, when we go to other people and we say, will you pray for me on this thing? What kind of requests do we ask them to pray for? Because a lot of times we just kind of pick up anything in life and just, well, you know, pray about that with me, will you? But um, with, with nothing in particular in mind. Brother Hagin used to always tell people when they came on up and they asked for prayer, and uh, sometimes he would say, well, what scripture are you standing on? Well, none in particular. And he'd say, well, that's what you'll get, nothing in particular. <laughs> we got to... We've got to make sure that when we come to God in prayer, if we're making a supplication, making a petition, making a request, there needs to be something in the Word of God that gives us faith for that. And so then we need to come to Him with that in, in prayer. Father God, You said this in Your Word. This is what You promised in Your Word. God does not need to be reminded of it. He knows. But we need to tell Him, oh, my faith is based on this. Because too often we're going to God with things in prayer that other people have said or we kind of expect ought to happen. Sometimes we have, uh, you know, we, notice, we know about the entitlement mentality amongst people. You look at those uh, Occupy whatever city and such, and uh, I mean, that's a whole bunch of people that just feel like they're entitled to the world. Everybody should pay for my college, everybody should pay for my health care, everybody should pay for my whatever. And it doesn't matter who it is, somebody ought to pay for it. Why? Well, so they, it's just right, they ought to. We get this entitlement idea. Well, that's not what we need to do when we come to God in prayer. It shouldn't be as the way you live your life either. But you shouldn't come to God in prayer with an entitlement. Well, God, I just deserve to have this. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Amen. There's nothing we're getting that we deserve. Glory to God. It's based on mercy. Based on grace. And so we just go to God and we say, Father God, you said that you wanted to do this for us. And so here it is in your word. And I'm going to believe what you said in your word that this will come about. But see, that's, that takes work. And sometimes you don't always want to go into the work that's there. Or sometimes we're going to God in prayer, asking for things. Well, I know somewhere I heard about this. Well, that's not going to build your faith. You know, sometimes you need to just go back into the Word of God and dig it out again. And go over it again before you spend time in prayer. Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels, wasting time, praying, asking God for something. And you really don't have any faith for it at all. 
Get into the Word of God. Find out how I know that healing belongs to me. Good. Go into the Word of God and find it again. Take it to God in prayer. Father God, this is what you said in your Word. Right here. This is what you promised me. I thank you, Father, that it's mine. Remember, we were talking about on Sunday. Pray, believing that you receive. If you're going to ask God for something, pray, believing that you receive. Make sure you don't ask for God for things you already have. But if you're going to ask God for something, pray and believe that you receive. And you will have the thing that you ask for. We don't believe it when we have it. We believe we have it when we pray. And then it will come. So we have to have that, that faith there. So he's asking for something for him. Now, I believe that Paul would ask for something scriptural. That's just my thought. <laughs> I think Paul would, would not make an unscriptural request. But when, when, when we are out there asking for requests, what are our requests for? And do we ask how scriptural they are? You know, pray for me on this. How many, pray for me that I'll just love that person. Most of you know that's a bad prayer. <laughs> no, the love of God is in you. Don't pray for what you already have. The love of God has been poured out in your hearts when you got born again. Don't pray for what you already have. Father God, I thank you. I have love for that person. And I'm going to order my behavior accordingly. Don't, don't pray for what you already have. That's, that's not right because there, there's no way you can have faith for that. The Word of God tells you you already have it. Then you cannot be standing on Word to ask God for it. Don't be doing that. But we don't always ask how scriptural our requests are. We just thought, well, you know, just pray with me on this. I'm so confused on this thing. Just, you know, pray that I'll get clarity. I never read anything in the Word of God about praying for clarity. I read about praying for wisdom. I read about praying for revelation and understanding. Never read anything about praying about clarity. Remember why, why most people don't have clarity? Because what they want is different from what the Word of God says they ought to have. They're trying to get clarity of how they can get that to work. <laughs> you don't need clarity. You just need to get obedient. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Just get obedient. Just do what God said to do. And, and you'll be fine. But we don't always want to deal with people that way, do we? <laughs> and we don't always want to be dealt with, with that, that way. We don't always like that. We just want people to go along and say, Oh, okay, we'll pray with you on that. And... Yeah, it's uh, all right, no problem. You know, hey, but uh, you know, well, pray for me. I've just been so depressed lately. Is there a scripture that says pray for depression? No, it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. I have the joy of the Lord on the inside of me. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, we don't go by what we feel. We go by what the Word of God tells us. If you're going to go by what you feel, there's no sense in praying anyway, because you're just going to go by how you feel. Now you've got to make a stand on some things. Just because you don't feel saved doesn't mean you aren't. Just because you don't feel forgiven doesn't mean you aren't forgiven. Just because you don't feel full of joy doesn't mean you are not full of joy. If you start acting like you are full of joy, you'll find out, wow, i got more joy on there than I thought I did. Then depression will have to go. These people out there are taking all these medications for depression and, and things. And, and you know, some folks sometimes they need it. There are some chemical imbalances and, and things like that and yeah, maybe that's, that's going on, but God can show you how to get past that thing and get, overcome that. Let them help you out with that. But uh, I don't know, they take some of these young kids and they put them on some of these drugs because they're too active. Mm -hmm. Dear Lord, they're supposed to be active. They're kids. Let them be active. Let them get out there and have some fun. 
But boy, they put them on some drugs and they're just not having, not enjoying life anymore. Well, we don't need as much of that as we, we think. Go back to God. Just let God fill you up with joy. Glory to God. I got the joy of the Lord on the inside of me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Those are the things you ought to be standing on. What kind of faith can you have going to God in prayer saying that? What do you, you, get, you go to God and you go to, with him, go to Him with all the voice verses about the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you get done, you'll say, what am I here asking you for? I already got all this stuff. It's already working on the inside of me. And just go out of there happy. That can still be a good prayer session. You can have a prayer session just going over the Word of God. As long as you come out of there happy, glory to God. That's good. But sometimes we receive some requests that are not all that scriptural. How many times have we received a request that's not all that scriptural and we're, we're thinking, this isn't scriptural. What do I do? I don't want to embarrass them. That would be bad. <laughs> we don't want to embarrass people and tell them, oh, that's not a scriptural thing. Well, no, just go ahead and agree with them. So they'll go on believing God for something wrong, right? No, that's not good. The Word of God says, speak the truth in love. You know, sometimes we, we might want to slap people upside the head, but that's not always the best way to do it. But you can certainly speak the truth in love. Hang on a minute. Before we go and pray about that, what verses are you standing on? Well, I don't really have any. Of course they aren't. It's unscriptural. You already knew that. So just take them back into the Word of God again and say, well, let's go find some verses that, that stand on this and, and, and let the Word of God correct them and take them on through there. What, what kind of thing are you praying for? And that's where you've got to know the Word of God yourself or let the Spirit of God rise up on the inside of you and take you to some things. Or bring along a nice little uh, concordance or, or something. Or, you know, you've got all those uh, iPads and iPhones and apps all over the place. There's scriptures that you can put on there. You know, i got a scripture thing on my little iPod. And I can do quick searches on that thing and just pull that on up and do a quick search, find that scripture, help them on out. Take them into the Word of God. Be ready to help them out with that. Because you want to get people into scriptural prayers, not unscriptural ones. So pray for me that utterance may be given to me. Well, we already covered this one. What do you do with a request for prayer when the request is unscriptural? Don't just ignore it. Don't just agree to it. Help them out. Take them through the Word of God. Well, that utterance may be given to me. This is what he's praying for. Now, most Greek word studies that I saw put this word utterance as freedom or opportunity. They put this word in the context and usage of Greek and so forth as a freedom or opportunity. Well, in the 28th chapter of Acts, we see that Paul had arrived in Rome for trial. This is around 60 A.D. Paul is imprisoned for two years under house arrest in a rented home. He rented the home for two years. He was able to rent a home. He lived in the home. Then he's kind of under house arrest. Now, of course, they didn't have one of those ankle bracelets and stuff like that that they put on him. So I'm not sure exactly what they did to have him be under house arrest. But he was there under house arrest for two years. Maybe they figured he was a man of integrity. He said, Paul, will you stay here? Yeah, okay, I'll stay here. I don't know what they did. But anyway, that's what they had done. He was under house arrest for two years. And from there, he writes Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Ephesians is likely toward the end of 61 or the beginning of 62 A.D. is when that book was written. It was around the middle to the end of 62 that Paul was released. Somewhere around the end of 62, Paul was released. So... 
he's praying right here that utterance may be given to me or something on the area of freedom or opportunity. And so I would think that somehow he has the imprisonment in mind when he's asked, making this request. Somehow that imprisonment is in mind. That he's there under house arrest. Now he was able to entertain leaders, church leaders at the, the house there in Rome. He was able to go out and preach and, and do things. But apparently he wanted more freedom or more opportunity to be able to speak. Now, just to give you the rest of the history on this, after he was released from prison, Paul wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. The great fire of Rome is in the year 64. That's when Nero began the great persecution of Christians. He blamed the fire on the Christians. They all spoke about a coming fire and they probably just said it themselves. And so he got all the people to be mad at the Christians in 64. Josephus pleads the interest of the Jews before Rome in 64. And also in 64, uh, Nero had finished the Domus Aurea. I can't even say that word there. Golden house. Little golden house. Mm -hmm. Latin for golden house is what it was. And it was a large landscape. I saw some pictures of it, pictures of where it's supposed to be anyway. They kind of had taken the uh, house and had it built on top of it. And it kind of sealed the whole house over. And so there was a whole lot of paintings in the house. And when they built over it, they kind of sealed off the moisture. And so those paintings that were on the wall lasted all the way up into the Renaissance. And when they somehow broke through in the Renaissance period and they saw these things. And so many of the artists were being let down in the ropes into this house to see the pictures that were painted on the wall. Uh, Michelangelo was one of these who got let down by a rope into Nero's home so that he could see some of the pictures. And they took inspiration for some of their, their paintings from these. And um, it wasn't too long after that. Now the moisture was able to get in and the beautiful paintings were on the wall were now just faint uh, now. They don't get to see too much out of it. But they preserved them for all that time. And he built this, this home somewhere between uh, or during the time frame between 64 A.D. of the Great Fire because it was the Great Fire that wiped out what was on this location. He kind of wanted this location for his house. <laughs> so it wiped it out, had a nice, beautiful view, and then he built this house. And somewhere between there and when he committed suicide in 68 is when he, he built this home. Now, Paul was imprisoned again in 66 A.D. and is martyred in the year 67. Just for the rest of the timeline, the beginning of the Jewish revolt against Rome began in 66 while Paul was in prison. Josephus surrendered to the Romans in the year 67. And then after that, Titus had come on through and he uh, uh, burned the temple and other things had gone on there. So Paul was either praying for an opportunity to either be free completely or for more liberty to preach. And so at that point he got it because he was released from prison. From the year uh, 62 until the year 66. He had four years there where he was released from prison. And went on another missionary journey to, to teach. So what he's praying there is pray for me that opportunity will be given. He may have been asking pray that I get released from this, I've been here in Rome. I did what I was supposed to do. I appeared before Caesar. I appeared before the leaders in Rome. And I preached the gospel. And we've been here to Rome. Now it's time to go to some other places. And so pray for me that opportunity will be there. 
that I can go out there and to do this. So he's asking for the Christians to pray for his release or for his opportunity to get out of this imprisonment so that he can go on. Now, we knew before he had gone there, he had told the Ephesians, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go to Rome and to die there. But apparently, uh, throughout that, God had put some more things on him. And so he apparently didn't want to just die there. He wanted to have some more opportunity to preach the gospel to some other places. And that opportunity seemed to have been granted him. So he prays for an opportunity to, to preach the gospel more. I wonder if we're taking these things and making these kind of requests when we go up to other people. How often do we, make, we pray for, you know, go up to other people, you know, pray for me, I have this financial need. Pray for me, I have this job opportunity. Pray for me, I have to, to uh, buy this house or buy this car or move into this, you know, things like that. How many times are we making prayer requests like that compared to pray for me that I have opportunity at work? Pray for me that I have opportunity with the people in my neighborhood to share the gospel with them. Pray for me that I'll have opportunity with some of my relatives. We have a big thing going on coming up next month and we're going to have them all there. Pray for me that I have opportunity. How many times do we come to each other with those kind of requests? This is what Paul writes to them. Now imagine this. You're a person. You're in prison. You're under house arrest. I'm sure that there's a lot of things he could have been praying for. We gave you some of the scenarios, some of the things that were going on around this time. And Paul says, pray for me that I can get out and preach the gospel more. I mean, he's in jail because he was preaching the gospel. Pray for me that I can get out and do this some more. Well, he, he doesn't just stop there. And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he wants boldness, and we've seen this prayer before with Peter and and John, they prayed for boldness in, in this. And how many times are we making requests for this area? Boldness. Now, I bet most of us understand that in our lifetime, serving God, that there have been opportunities that we could have been more bold. <laughs> uh, we've come out of something. Oh, I wish I would have been more bold there. Oh, I should have said this. Oh, I wish I took the opportunity to say this. Oh, that would have worked out good. And we're thinking about it afterwards, but when we're there... It didn't come to us or it did come to us and we didn't feel like, uh, we felt a little timid. We, we felt like something like that. Pray for both. How many times do we come up to people after that and just say, you know what? I could have been more bold there. Will you pray for me that I have more boldness in this, in this kind of thing? Because these are the things that we see constantly in prayer about. We spend some time on that on Sunday looking at the different things people ask God for prayer in the Bible. And it wasn't so much in their, their needs, you know, well, I got this financial need. No, was, we saw the different things they were being asked for. Here, Paul, pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, that which was hidden. The, the church age is what he's talking about there. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Well, this is something we need to do. To be asking for these kind of things. Verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That in it I may speak boldly. As I ought to speak. He sees it as an obligation. I ought to be speaking boldly. I ought to be in this. Doing this this way. And he's in jail for it. For how boldly he was speaking. For which I am ambassador in chains. That in it I may speak boldly. See too often. When we're living life. It's real easy for us to focus on our needs. Real easy to focus on what we lack. 
and what I need to have answered for myself. And we're not always as mindful of the things of God. It's really easy to get that way, that way in prayer, where we need to go out there and, and, Father God, I need to be more bold to preach your gospel. I need to be praying for more opportunities. Boy, I almost had an opportunity. I pray that that opportunity comes up and I know the Holy Spirit will give me words to speak and that I'll listen to them and I'll speak those things out. Because the Word of God tells us that if we uh, seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things will be added unto us. This is seeking first the kingdom of God. So despite the hindrances, Paul takes advantage of every opportunity to preach the gospel and to strengthen the brethren, despite the things that had gone on, despite the things that were holding him back. How many times could it could we not, if we were in Paul's shoes, say, well, I'm in prison, serve God well. I'm just going to kick my feet up and let some other people take up the, because you know, I worked hard. No, he's out there lobbying, head by the house arrest. Can I have people come over? <laughs> Can I share the gospel with them here? <laughs> Is that going to be, can we, can we do that? And he's, he's looking for all these opportunities to do things. In Rome, with people like Nero, I think that would call attention to him. He's, he's still not any more boldness. I mean, Nero, people like that, they, these nutso people all around there. It's not too long after this that people start getting burned and all kinds of nasty stuff from, from what uh, Nero started. So Paul is in prison for the gospel and asked to declare it boldly. And courageously. Boldly and courageously. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister and Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose. That you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So he sent somebody along, you know, to kind of give them the up, uh, update what's going on. They didn't have YouTube back then. You couldn't just do a YouTube video and, and post that. But So because of that, he, he sent Tychicus to give him a first-hand report. And they could ask him questions. Well, how's it going? Oh, that's this way. And, and they would have a first-hand report instead of just a, a written thing. You can't ask questions to it. Here's a guy who was with Paul, and he, he can answer all the questions that they want and let them know because this church meant a whole lot to Paul. So after all we have been given to live this life that we've been taught here in the book of Ephesians, we saw in the beginning here the prayer for faith, love, and hope of those whom God has made part of the body of the Christ. We saw that through the apostle God had made the Gentiles alive through Christ. You who were dead, he made alive. We can contrast the old death and sin and life in Christ. He did that in chapter 2. This is how we were Dead in sin, this is how we are alive to Christ. We have the reconciliation of the Gentiles to God. All in one body. Both Jew and Gentile alike. Paul's suffering and ministry to bring the Gentiles into the body of Christ in chapter 3. We had the prayer for faith and love among Paul's converts. And then uh, he, in chapters 4 and 6, he gets into the Christian Life in the world, how the first three chapters are more the doctrine of things. And the last three chapters, this is how you live it. This is how you put it to work. We see the unity of the body of Christ, which is built up into different ministries in uh, the first part of chapter 4. 
In the second part of chapter 4, we have the old life in darkness contrasted with the new life as the children of light going all the way into chapter 5. We have the uh, marriage in Christ and children and parents and slaves and masters and employers and employees and all that in, in uh, the end of chapter 5 through chapter 6. And then he said, remember, above all, most, if you're not going to get anything else, make sure you get this. This is so important. He talks about spiritual warfare and to put on the armor of God. And we went over what the armor of God was. We went over how people use the armor of God. Not just so we know what it is, we know how it gets used. And how that's, that makes us ready for spiritual warfare. Because we are going to be engaged in spiritual warfare. And at the end of all the armor and all the things he put on, he brings out prayer. And praying always with all prayer. The prayer is involved in our spiritual warfare. But it's important that we know what type of prayer to use when we go into spiritual warfare. When we go into these battles. It's important that we know what armor is there and which ones we're supposed to take up when we go out into the battle, which ones are supposed to be always on. How prayer is supposed to help us out in this. And then we go into the warfare knowing that our armor, our, our things are far superior, that what we have been given has been tailor-made to combat the tactics of Satan. Because his tactics are known. God knows what his tactics are. We know how they go. We know what they do. We know how they use these things. And this is what we need to do to come against those types of tactics. And so God gave us the, the ability to do that. But too many times Christians aren't going out into these battles with the knowledge of the tactics of the enemy. We just go out there and say, well, God's with me. I guess it ought to go okay. No. Nope. You can have superior weaponry if you don't know how to use it. It isn't going to do you any good. We've got to know how to use the superior weaponry. But our weaponry is superior to what the Satan has. And if we use it right, he doesn't stand a chance. Doesn't stand a chance. If we use prayer correctly, he doesn't stand a chance. So he, what, he, what he wants to do is to get in and corrupt what we have. We saw the belt of truth comes along. The belt of truth, if he can get in and corrupt that truth, the whole thing begins to fall apart. Because what we have isn't based on the truth of God anymore. It's based on whims. It's based on ideas. It's based on, well, I think that, who cares what you think? What's the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? So we're ready for spiritual warfare. And then he says, now go on out there. Now pray for me that I have boldness. That I go out into the world and I'm bold with the gospel. Because there's a whole lot of things out there that would try and make you timid. There's a whole lot of things Paul faced that would try and make him timid with the gospel. But he says, no, no, pray for me for opportunity. And pray for me for boldness. Well, we ought to be making prayers in the same way. Are we praying for opportunities? Or are we bellyaching that we don't have any? How many times do you hear out of Christian's mouth? Well, everybody I talk to, they don't want to know about the gospel. Everybody I talk to, they're not interested. Nobody I talk to wants to go to church. Now, oh, come on. Pray for opportunity. Well, I've been working on this one for 10 years. Maybe you ought to find another one. Keep on working on that one. That's fine. But maybe you ought to find a few more. Why are you working on one for 10 years? Go out there and work on some others. Paul didn't work on one person for 10 years. He worked on whole cities. And then he'd go over to another city. And he'd work on that city for a while. And then go over to another city. And if you ran into people who didn't want to hear, 
It, well, all right, we'll, we'll leave you guys alone. We'll go over here and talk to these people. He'd come into the city, he'd come into the synagogues, and he'd t- teach the Jewish people. And if the Jewish people turned their back on him, he said, all right, that's fine. But I had to come to you first, now I'm going to go over here to the Gentiles. That's where I really wanted to be anyway. <laughs> so he went on over there to the Gentiles and preached to them. And some of the Jews would get upset and follow him around. But that's okay. He just kept on, he kept looking for opportunities. He kept being bold. He was so bold, he was taken out and beaten, taken out and stoned, taken out and imprisoned and mocked and all sorts of stuff happened to him. But he just kept on going. Don't give up. Look for the, maybe, you know, you shared the gospel with 20 people at work and all 20 people said no. Go out there and find some others. Go look around the neighborhood. You're in a restaurant. Are you thinking opportunity? When you're in the grocery store, are you thinking opportunity? We've got to be thinking opportunity wherever we go. Father God, I thank you for opportunity. I thank you for opportunity. The more we ask people to pray for us for opportunity, the more I make requests myself, Father God, give me opportunity, the more I'm mindful of opportunity. I'm looking for opportunity. But when it becomes less mindful to us, we may go for a whole week or two. Not even think, oh, I don't even know if I had any opportunity. I wasn't even thinking about that. Opportunity? Hmm. Wow, be asking for this. Talk to other people. You get together and pray. Don't just pray about, well, what are your needs? Well, mine, I need this and I need that. What do you need? I need this and I need that. No. (laughs) Get out there. Uh, Let's pray for some opportunity. Oh, I was in this situation and I felt the boldness of God come up. But I'll tell you what, I I think it can come up stronger. Pray for me that it can come up stronger. I was talking with someone and all scripture just started coming to me. But you know what? I think it can come up in me even better. I think I can be even more sensitive to it. What what the Spirit of God wants to do. Pray that I get more sensitive to what the Spirit of God wants to do wants to say through me when I'm talking to these people. And if every single one of them says no, glory to God, go out there and find another one. Look for another opportunity. You are not responsible for them saying yes. You're responsible for taking the opportunity. That's all. Get out there and take the opportunity and keep on going. Don't ever let it discourage you. Paul didn't let it discourage him. Paul kept going. Paul is writing this letter encouraging people while he's in prison. And even when he's over there in, in the second imprisonment, even when he's getting close to death, he writes the second, he writes second Timothy. He writes over to Timothy. Timothy, just how, how you doing there? Hope things are going good. Just want to encourage you. And, yeah, I'm about to die. That's okay. <laughs> he, he's all right with that. He's out there encouraging other people. He didn't get lost in his own world. He kept looking for opportunities for things to do. He kept his focus on our warfare is not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're involved in a spiritual warfare. And we are also still involved in that same spiritual warfare. If you are at work and you you can't seem to, to crack anybody to receive the gospel or have that opportunity, then you pray, Satan, I, I take authority over the blindness that you are putting on these people. They will not be blind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be hungry for it. And their eyes are open to see the light. They're going to see the light in me. And they're going to ask me about it. That's not prideful. You've got light in you. Let it shine. The Word of God says, let your light shine before men. People are supposed to see it. So pray it. Father God, I thank you. They can see my light. You said that a city set on a hill cannot be hid. I cannot be hid. I have the light of God on the inside of me. So people are going to see me. People are going to find me. 
they're going to find me. And they're going to ask me questions. They're going to do some things. You'll like that. It's good. It's not bad attention. I told you when I was in high school, and I got the whim one day, I don't know what caused it, and I started carrying a Bible around in ninth grade. Still have that Bible to this day. It's a yellow, orange, bright colored. I, I don't much like the particular Bible now. It was the Living Bible. But that's the one I carried with me. And it just drew attention because it's so brightly colored. And it just drew attention. And uh, I got the wrong kind of attention for a long time. You know, people like to beat me up for the fact that I was carrying a Bible around. But there were times that teachers would stop in class. Remember one time, chemistry class. Teacher. Chemistry te- during a test, we all had to spread out in the class, move our desk all over the place so no one could see the other person's paper. And so we're all spread out. This class is quiet. We're taking a test. And he comes up and he goes, what's this? It's my Bible. Why do you carry this around? And we're having this conversation in class. <laughs> so I'm answering all those questions and, and things. And, and at one time, he stopped me in the hallway. And uh, we were, and he said, you know, if you carried the chemistry book around as much as you carried that Bible, you'd get an A. <laughs> I know I thought it. I don't know that I said it, but I know I thought it. I said, chemistry is not as interesting to me, to me as the Bible. <laughs> and it's not. It still isn't to this day. I still don't enjoy chemistry all that much. And I think I got through his class with a C. But um, he, w- he was not a Christian. He was very much opposed to it. An English teacher it was gay. And um, believed in reincarnation. And we got into a debate because of my Bible on the top of my books in class where I stood up against the entire class. And at that point, I was still a bashful uh, high school student. I, was a, I think at that point I was a senior. But I still wasn't all that bold until you got on the things of God. And so it was me against the class. The whole class. There was not a single person in that class who stood on my side. The teacher was on the side of the class. And we had this debate. He brought up the question. Is Jesus Christ the biggest myth ever created? And so the next day they came back into class and the teacher promptly said, Well, I think we have to say we lost the debate yesterday, class. (laughs) And so they asked him, What do you think? And he went over. He thought he was a reincarnated foot soldier from Alexander the Great's army. I have no idea how he thought he was was that, but uh, we didn't get into the Bible or anything else after after that. But... um, Opportunities were taken, and I was able to get bolder in school because of that, because I had taken this, this school that everybody in, in school pretty much knew was gay, and they, they just they didn't like him. I think some of them just didn't like him because he was, but um, uh, they just didn't like him. And so this one group that used to oppress me, when they saw what had, that uh, I had taken this teacher to task and won by his own admission, I became, in effect, their hero. <laughs> <laughs> and they basically told me, anybody pick on you, they pick on us. You tell us, we'll go get them. And I had no more trouble with any rough crowds from that point on for the rest of high school. I had trouble all the way up until then. From that point on, I never had any more. And, and, uh, and people would still, still carry that Bible. Still had that right on top of all my books. People always knew that I was... But this is the thing. I was in a class of 1,500 people. Not my senior class, but the whole school. Our, our Upper Moreland High School was 1,500 people at the time I was going. Every person there, if they did not know my name, knew I was the kid that carried the Bible. Every person in school knew I was the kid who carried the Bible. Only one time did a person ever identify themselves as a Christian. There was a gal 
who was uh, a year ahead of me, and she identified she was bold with the things of God. She's the only other one I ever knew was a Christian in 1,500 students. That's a shame. Are we bold for the things of God? How bold have we been? I'll bet you we can be bolder. I think back to those days in high school and I think, I could have been bolder. I could have said more. I could have spoken more. I didn't really know about praying for boldness and praying for opportunity. I could have been praying for those things. Instead, I was probably over there talking about what I needed today and what I needed tomorrow. Are we praying for opportunity? Are we praying for utterance? Are we praying for boldness? Is this a big part of our prayers or is this something we casually think about every now and then? I'd like to see us. I know we don't have a whole lot of folks out on the Wednesday night crowd, but you all are good ones. I wonder if we just take it ourselves and say, Father God, I'm going to dedicate myself that for the next month, the main part of my prayer is going to be praying for boldness, praying for opportunity to share the gospel. I'm going to pray for those that I know that their ground would become ready to receive and we make this a focal part of our prayers for the next month. And make it a point to get testimony of the opportunities that we have. Don't care whether they're successful or not successful. I went through high school without, without a single success story of sharing Jesus with any of those folks in high school and getting any of them to turn around, life around. But they had an opportunity. But I could have been praying for more. could have been praying for more opportunity. could have been praying for better way to stand up and say what was going on, what God was doing. But what if we make this dedication to pray as Paul did here at the end of his letter? Now, look, pray for me. I need freedom. I need opportunity. And I need even more boldness to go into the world. And then we look for opportunity. And then we tell people, come on back and testify. Let people know, not because we're bragging on ourselves. Get that out of your head. But you need to encourage other people to get out there and do the same thing. All this great teaching in the book of Ephesians needs to change how we live. We need to go after this thing, not in our own power, but in the power of God. We're involved in spiritual warfare, but we have supernatural power, armaments, weapons. We're ready for whatever the devil wants to throw our way. We are ready for it. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be scared because our weapons are greater than his. Our armor is stronger than anything he can throw at us. Remember the shield of faith? How many darts does it extinguish? All. Oh, every one of them. And taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All of them. He cannot throw anything your way that can get through. As long as you hold on to what God has given you. So pray for opportunities. Paul is not worried about making himself a bigger bullseye in Rome with guys like Nero around him. I mean, truly, he's a nutcase. If you know anything about the study of Rome and some of the things that went on with Nero, he was truly a nutcase. And they let him run the country. And that's what he had to face. What are we facing? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. That we can be bolder. 
for the gospel, we can take more opportunities than what we have in the past. We're going to dedicate ourselves, Father, to pray for greater boldness and greater opportunity. And then look for it every day. Where's my opportunity today? There's some, somewhere there's an opportunity coming for me today. I thank you, Father God, for that opportunity. I'm looking for that opportunity. And our eyes are going to be fixed for it. When it comes, we're going to be ready to share. That boldness is going to rise up in us. We're going to respond to it. We're going to yield ourselves to it. We were praying for it. We were asking for it. And when it comes up on us, we're going to yield. We're not going to resist. And let the Holy Spirit give us words to speak. Father, I thank you for the opportunities that we have. And that we can take the challenge to other people. That they too would rise up and say, Hey, I can be bold like that too. I can pray like that too. Father, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.